buried beneath the rubble of time are stories of God's sovereign hand moving in our great nation. Many believers, hopeless, frustrated, and confused, have all but given up on America. But we have faced dark times before, and by divine providence, overcome. From our studio on Capitol Hill, I'm your host, Joe Kirby, filling in today for Brad Wells, along with Pastor Mike Creed and Andrew Friedenstein. So what can we learn from a prayer meeting God answered with a bolt of lightning? Take a moment with us to look back and find hope from history. Now, God sending a bolt of lightning. Andrew, are we going back to Elisha and the prophets of Baal? What's going on here today? Well, first, let me stop you there, Joe. It's good to have you for those you that have been listening from Hope From History, you haven't heard Joe before. He is the man behind the curtain. He is our producer. He sits on the sidelines yes. and laughs at the Pastor Wells. behind the scenes. That's right. Pastor Wells, Pastor Creed, myself. And just when we think we've done a really, really good job. He points at us and gives us dirty looks. That's exactly right. Well, he says it too. He just doesn't give us good, yeah, dirty looks. Am, he tells exactly what we do. I am good at that. So. Yeah, so <laughs> Joe is our thorn in the flesh. He keeps us humble. No, but it's good to have... Uh, Joe, uh, hosting with us, Pastor Wells. Of course, he's a pastor, and he's at a meeting and fulfilling some responsibilities there. We miss him, but uh, you all, if you want to, you can let us know and grade Joe on a scale of <laughs> 1 to 10 and let us know how he did. Okay, guys, just saying. He gives us a hard time. You're trying to give him a hard time. So anyways, through the story, no, we are not talking about Elisha and the prophets of Baal. Um, and I believe in that Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Mr. Producer got it wrong. <laughs> We will edit that part out. No, you no, got to leave that in. It is uh, Elijah. It is yeah. Elijah. Uh, Elijah right. and See, the prophets of Baal. That's why we have pastor here to correct us, make sure that we stay on track biblically, historically, and so forth. All right. Great. Brad's gone. There we're already a train wreck. Okay. So to the story here, um, actually the year is 1864 that we're going to be talking about. We are now three years into the Civil War. And the Confederates decide for security reasons to build a prisoner of war camp in the Deep South. A 26-acre site was chosen and built in Georgia near the town of Andersonville. By February, prisoners started to arrive at Camp Sumter, commonly just called Andersonville today. Now, the prison camp was designed to hold 10,000 Union prisoners. But come August, the camp was overflowing with over 33,000 prisoners, three times more than what they were supposed to have. To say that the conditions inside the camp were inhumane would have been a massive understatement. So in what way were they inhumane? I mean, I can imagine that's a huge overflow, but what, what did that look like? Their quantity of food was just, it was a massive problem. The, the Confederates didn't even have enough food to feed their soldiers, alone the prisoners. And they were fortunate to get a meal a day. And a prisoner from Ohio wrote about the lack of food in Andersonville. He said it takes seven of its occupants to make a shadow. Not only was there not enough food, oft times the food they did get was rotten, wormy, maggot infested. And uh, can you imagine biting into your biscuit in the morning and oh, having a maggot in the middle of your biscuit? And you really don't care because you're so, <laughs> that's, honestly, that's awful. Uh, when you're starving, you don't really care. If, if the food was that bad, the water must have been worse. I mean, what, what was that situation like? If the food situation was a hill you had to climb every day, uh, the water situation was like a mountain. The prisoners relied on a small stream flowing through the middle of the camp. 
Well, that small stream quickly turned into a sloppy quagmire that more resembled a small, narrow swamp than a stream. The stream was the only source of fresh water for the prisoners. It was also where they did laundry and took baths. If that wasn't dirty enough, believe it or not, with 33,000 prisoners, it was the only bathroom available. And the stench from this stream or, or swamp could be smelled by people in cities 10 miles away. Unbelievable. Can't even imagine what it was like inside the camp if it was that bad 10 miles away. Now, would this have been considered a concentration camp? Well, that's a good question. Uh, wartime prisons and are completely different than concentration camps. Wartime prisons are specifically designed for enemy soldiers. Back then, during the Civil War time period, there was a code of ethics they were supposed to follow. Um, obviously, as we're reading and learning, learning about Andersonville, they really didn't follow it, but it was more of a lack of resources. I mean, nowadays there's laws that govern, international law that govern how you treat enemy combatants, whereas a concentration camp is distinctly different. Concentration camps are comprised of a targeted ethnicity purposely crammed into an inadequate facilities to provide either forced labor or a weight mass execution. Uh, when describing these kind of scenarios, uh, there's significant emotion where human life is involved. And it's so important that we're accurate and truthful when we describe these type of scenarios. This was really a difficult situation. There are groups that like to throw in phrases like Nazi concentration camps and get folks riled up. But you, you think about this, uh, the detention centers that we have on our southern border that are funded by Americans uh, have things that people probably that are coming there didn't have in their other countries. Uh, the officers uh, down there are overcome and underfunded. But honestly, it's, it's absurd to even think that those camps on the southern border are anything like what we're talking about today. Prison of war camps, concentration camps, detention centers, just from a historical perspective, a definition perspective, those are nowhere near close to the same Andersonville thing. was devastating. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, it's beyond our, our uh, everyday American mindset. It's beyond our ability to really comprehend. Yes, it kind of seems like it's unrelatable. So I guess people are taking these words, concentration camp, take, taking concentration, a lot of people in a small space being held and treated badly and saying that's a concentration camp. Yeah, like our, camp. our youth camps. Uh, I can remember going to youth <laughs> camp as a youth director or, or as a first-time pastor. I took my wife. They had a cabin for me and my wife. I, I, I was with the kids all the time, and then they put me and my wife in this nice cabin right on the border, and the, uh, the farmer next door decided he was going to spread the manure uh, on his farm the day, of, <laughs> day before we came to camp. My eyes were burning. So awesome. Great, great camp food and, <laughs> and the smell camp quarters. But we, we made it through. We had kids saved and had a good time. But it's nothing like what we're talking about here. Yeah. This is serious. So I guess we can loosely define anything we want. But like you said, being truthful in comparisons, there really was no comparison basically saying. No, no, there's no comparison. And especially when we're talking, uh, going back here to Andersonville, you know, things like this that we've talked about some, we're going to continue to talk about. Hopefully it's something that uh, will never be experienced on 
American shores again or anywhere around the world. I mean, this is just, uh, like as we said before, inhumane. And talking about the water, really the sad, twisted tragedy of Andersonville is water is supposed to give life. No water, no life. Uh, well, the water here was, in fact, taking life at an astonishing rate. 95% of the deaths in the camp was caused by dysentery and diarrhea that was contracted from drinking the water. By August, when there was 33,000 prisoners, 100 prisoners were dying each and every day. Prisoners, they were digging all around the camp frantically, trying to find a new supply of fresh water, but there was none to be found. The situation was so dire that some men who were about to die of thirst decided instead to cross the deadline and commit suicide by one of the prison guards instead of drinking the water. Well, what, what is that, the deadline? What, what does that mean? The now? deadline was, um, it was a line of uh, post about 19 feet inside of the wall or the outside barrier. If you stepped over that line or stepped inside of that line, the guards would immediately shoot you. Uh, it was designed to keep prisoners away from the outside walls and discourage people from trying to escape. So imagine, you know, your psychological mindset there as a prisoner. You know, the food is just gross and you're starving, so you don't even care. If you drink the water, you're going to die slow and painful death. And suicide is sounding very, very attractive. Uh, after seeing a prisoner commit suicide by, the, uh, the, by this deadline, if you will, there was a private by the name of William Tannehill, and he was deeply affected by the situation. And so he, with a few other people, organized some prayer meetings. Now, the purpose of the prayer meetings was to ask God for clean, fresh water. On August the 9th, Tannehill and a small group of men were praying in their tabernacle, if you will. Their tabernacle is really just a hole in the ground left where uh, a tree had been uprooted. And as the men were praying, a storm began to brew in the distance. Before long, clouds let loose in a torrential rainfall. In fact, it rained so heavy that a flash flood knocked down part of the prison camp wall. Prisoners suffered through the bitter storm out in the open, trying to collect rainwater in whatever container they could find. Now, it had rained before, and every storm brought relief for a few days. Uh, the men would always collect some rainwater that they could drink, the filth of the stream would be washed out of the camp, and everyone would have clean water for a few days. However, rain in the summertime, as we all know in the Deep South, is sporadic at best. The massive problem of consistent clean water was always present. But this storm on August the 9th was different. Amongst all of the rain, flooding, and lightning, People didn't realize until a few days later, actually, that a lightning bolt struck the ground just on the other side of the deadline from the prisoners. From the spot of that lightning strike, a spring of clean, cool, fresh water was bubbling out of the ground. Wow. That spring provided the entire camp with fresh water, 33,000 people. The prisoners saw it for exactly what it was, an answer to prayer. They began calling it Providence Spring. In fact, in 1901, years later, people donated money and a stone monument was erected over Providence Spring so that future generations might know what happened here. Today, there is nothing original left of the old prison camp except for Providence Spring. And you can still go there today and you can 
uh, put your hand in the water. You can, you can. I've seen people that have just little, literally taken little bottles and filled it and uh, marked it from Providence Spring. Still 155 years later, it's flowing in that place. There's an inscription on the monument which says, the prisoner's cry rang up to heaven. God heard with uh, his thunder and cleft the earth and poured out his sweetest water here. And it stands today for a testimony of a God who cares about the power of prayer. There is power in prayer. And it seems like as believers, we often neglect our greatest asset. Jeremiah 33, verses 1 through 3. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time, while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it, uh, to establish it, the Lord is his name. And then he said, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And the prayers of God's people uh, touch the heart of God, and they move God's hand. And if we desire to see God moved in our nation, there should be no greater priority than prayer. Wow. Thank you, Pastor Creed, and thank you for listening. Be sure to listen each week and find hope from history. Learn more on our website, awakeamericaonline.org. Subscribe, share, consider partnering with us in prayer.